After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. My name is John Manuel. I'm joined by JJ Cooper. Here in the podcast nook, our new uh, computer, a new podcast computer. We've gone off the Mac, uh, off the it, Mac uh, it, train for just just for this computer. JJ is very excited about. Hey, it. I, for the uh, the uh, <laughs> tech geeks out there like me, we're running an Ubuntu box now for uh, for our podcast, which. I run Ubuntu on my my laptop and my desktop at home, so I'm very excited. We're just putting a little bit more. Uh, we you know we put a, a certain level of effort into the podcast, and then we'd maintain that effort, and that effort's not enough. So now we're putting more effort. We're trying to into raise it. our game. I do remember fondly recording the first podcast at the previous home of JJ's previous church. Yes. Um, and being on a wireless mic, I loved because I was walking all around as if I were preaching, right? It was, <laughs> it was, which was funny. It, it, it was. A, <laughs> My dad doesn't. Uh, that, even I don't think that. Like I that. think that was a preview podcast. I don't think I don't that, that ever made air. Actually, yeah, that's not episode one. That's episode zero. That's right. It's episode zero, and I believe approximately ten of the fifteen minutes were talked about baseball. And then Will and I went into a long project, uh, runway. project runway discussion. Which, if you go back to the very early episodes, there yeah. was a lot of those kind of a, a feature that y'all had. It was, and uh, we're going to lasso Will back into the podcast. We had him on the top 100. Uh, that'll probably just be, it'll be like one of those old Bill Simmons uh, skits they do that went over so well on ESPN, or was him and his buddies at a diner. I think Will and I would probably record a few over at William's Kitchen uh, sooner or later, but that would also go back to the, the bad technology of the podcast. But we're going to talk a little bit of just spring training. We're going to talk a little spring training. Minor leaguers in action. The Bapper is back out. Baseball Yay. American Prospect Report. Uh, we'll take some of your questions, which you've got on the Twitter, on Facebook, or uh, via podcast at baseballamerica.com. You can always feel free to email those into us. And uh, just to review also some of our top 100. JJ wasn't in on that last podcast on the top 100. Who missed and who might be more right. likely to jump back into next year's top 100? Right. We, we, we covered the top 100 pretty extensively yeah. in the hour that yep. y'all did last week. But we wanted to talk today a little bit about, okay, we What's we had next? a lot of guys, you know, we had essentially, if you want to put together rankings, I don't think they would have ranked exactly like this, but if you wanted to put together rankings, we had another 100 and we had about 94 70, guys. Yeah, 90, yeah, 90, 94 guys got votes who didn't make the top 100. 194 vote players who got support on a personal 150. And and by the way, with that, that made me think also, we've just talked around the office a little bit also. We've gotten some emails where people laughed. They said, so where's the dream draft? Yeah, which is awesome, actually. Uh, and that's it's kind of a one something that kind of ties back into talking about uh, Project Runway or other stuff like that on the podcast. I mean, I think we were, like, wondering if that was too self-indulgent. But I think people I, dis, dis, disagreed completely and just really wanted to see different ways of evaluating the same players, basically. And I said last year when we did a podcast after that, to me it was such a useful exercise just from the standpoint that not that someone can have an opinion, but there were a couple of guys who it became pretty clear, okay, I remember, um, was it Jay Austin? Did he rank fourth in the Astros? Who was it? I think that's it. I think Jay Austin ranked pretty high. Jay, and last then there year. was, was sixth in the and Astros. then uh, Daryl Jones with the Cardinals were a yeah. pair of guys who were ranked very highly on their team's top tens, and they right. weren't deep systems, but they were on their team's top tens. And round after round, it was something. Uh, yeah, it was Jones. No one Austin. It was Jones. But round after round, no one was buying. And it's again, it's one of those things where if one person 
takes a guy high is right. one thing. But if round after round everyone is aware that a guy's there and no one wants to draft him, that was a very useful exercise from the standpoint of, okay, well, yeah. clearly there's a consensus around this table. Would have been pretty amazing to watch how quickly the Royals would have flown off the board this year compared to other organizations, oh, for example. And, yeah. and when you say would have been, you know, we still talked about there is – if we can find the time, there is a chance that we will have some sort of uh there, There's a possibility of dream, the, the popular demand for Dream Draft. And I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. yeah it was fun. I know. Oh, it was a lot of fun. And, I mean, it's fun to always also look back. We had a Dream Draft, uh, what was it, six years ago on the major league level? Some of those are pretty funny to look at. Yeah. Some of those lists are uh, uh, bad. I, <laughs> uh, yeah. my, my list, I remember, turned out okay. A lot of my personal cheese balls turned out very good. Yeah, Houston Street, uh, Car- Carlos Quentin. Um, but a lot of those, you know, a lot of those picks, and also it's also amazing to go back. I think you, me, and Lingo and Callis are the only people left on the staff, right? Who participated in that major league dream draft in two thousand five? But, but like Brandon have, Wood was like a second round pick, so didn't with, with quite last work year's out. dream draft. We have everyone still. Uh, everyone could draft again this year, or what, we talked about it possibly having a supplemental draft to to just add to last year's dream. Now draft. that's a possibility. We could just, uh, you know, you get the key, you, guys who graduated to the big leagues. Are out, and then you have a whole new yeah. character. Well, so you—they you, just graduated your big league team. Right. You're just drafting a farm system, is what right. we were You're doing drafting last a farm year. system, right? But and yeah, but I, I liked what we did this year. I liked—I mean, I—I I even forgot that I didn't even include one of my risk factors. Which one did I leave out that I wanted to do? That you were the one that you liked. Aaron the best. Hicks. That's right, Aaron Hicks repeating low A. I don't even know why I left that one out. So I covered risk factors, a personal cheese ball of mine. I like risk factors, um, and then uh, we went ahead and did. Split decisions, but I think the popular preference was, "Wow, Dream Draft was awesome." So we still might get to Dream Draft um, later on this year, but it's kind of like a Dream Draft every day, JJ, with spring training games right now. It's because it's it's, a, it's just a, such a benefit, and, and with MLB Network, let's and that's just it. Say. Let's, let's, all the credit goes to MLB Network. Three four years ago, it was just so rare to see prospects on TV, and now I mean, like now, thanks to MLB Network. You get prospects every day on TV in spring training, and I'm even working with the Durham Bulls right now on a schedule for which MLB Network games. There'll be, I guess, 11 MLB Network games of minor. The MLB Network will show 11 minor league games this year. Three of them will involve the Durham Bulls. So three of the 11 uh, games scheduled. So one of them is on the day of the draft. I'm going to bet the Gwinnett Braves are uh, involved at least another one. I, I haven't even looked to see who they're Cause, playing. Because one of the things is is. That that works into this is, is if you have a quality television. Production. Well, no, three of them are in Durham. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Three yeah. of those eleven broadcasts no, originate from Durham. Right. If you have a quality television production, your chances go way up because right. There's just it's a little tough to find those. That's for, right. It, it is, and uh, when you're owned by a TV station, it helps. And the have, Bulls going up to uh, the Bulls going up to six cameras from four this year, which will be hey. interesting. And uh, one of them will be a mobile camera. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And we'll, the, one of them uh, will be on draft day, JJ, uh, June sixth, a noon game, and then the draft is a prime time game. So we're gonna have uh, you're gonna have more Baseball America staffers on than TV on MLB Network <laughs> than you want with me, and then expecting Jim Callis to be part of that draft uh, broadcast again. So, but you know, the, I think the nerdy moment of the spring for us, in a moment of in an office where a lot of nerdy stuff happens, but the nerdy moment of the spring was you and I. First, the email came out, cookies in the break room. <laughs> so let's set that oh, up. Cookie. First, cookies in the break room. Then second. I didn't even we, know. But the funny thing is I just got for water. I didn't even okay. know there were cookies in the break well, room until I showed up. that's why I was up. there. I was there. I came for the cookies. I stayed for John Gaston <laughs> and Daniel Brewer, which was the funny part. I mean, we both kind of geeked out on seeing Astros and Yankees. Guys, great. and you've been geeking out all spring on any Royals game possible on, Which, on MLB Network. I mean, just how, how much has it changed for you? It's just like it's changed uh, my viewing habits in the, this time of year. I'm I'm usually locked in 100% on college basketball, but I can't be not with all the baseball on. That was easy for me because I'm never as locked in on college basketball. So for me, it was something where, you, you know, I and it, the great thing is it sounds funny, but tape delaying these games for some of these games also, is, also. is great. I mean, I'm DVRing them a lot too. But right. I'll be listening to some on the MLB. You know, I'll put another free plug in. You know, the app, that app is is a wonderful thing because I'm listening to games during while working and all that. Hey, for my job, listening to games is part. That's of That's right, it's work. You just write it off. Yeah, but um, and then knowing you know that okay, well, I can see a couple nights. I can see John Lamb throw yeah. an inning. You know, things like that. And Danny Duffy. Not that I haven't seen those guys pitch at some point, but it's also it, it's fun. You know, it's fun to see. Okay. What is, does he look the same as what I remember? Does right. he look a little different? And again, that's not, 
I'm not a scout watching him, but at the same time, it is okay. So is he pitching the same? You know, is he using the same approach that he did? I mean, it's obviously it's an inning in spring. Right. You don't put too much. You take it for what it's worth, but it's still it's better than not seeing. I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and the the great thing about it is is that these first couple of weeks of spring is the point where you see prospect after prospect after prospect. Yeah. When we get later in spring, you're not going to see that as often as much because what you're going to see is is that okay we're down to working out figuring out who's the who's going to be the 25th man on the roster right. who's going to be right. the fifth starter that kind of thing. But right now, like I, I know there were a couple of days ago there was a red split squad game and, and doing the Reds list. Seeing Juan Duran and Ronald Torres. Yeah, that was amazing. And players, you know, Ryan Lamar, I think, got in. Kyle Waldrop. I mean, these guys weren't even pros. Those are all 2010 draft guys, the last two guys you just talked about. And Torres, didn't Torres play much of last year in the the VSL or DSL? Yeah, Yeah, the VSL. Yeah, That's amazing. That's really amazing. And then the next spring is in a big league game. Uh, The other part of this, one, one thing that sticks out to me on this, JJ, is, you know, for us, we're both nearing 40. So we're dating ourselves a little bit. Be like, I lived in South Florida for a couple of years and would go to West Palm Beach Expos and Braves spring training games. Only a couple because I was in school most of the time. But I did go to a couple games. And the Mets moved to Port St. Lucie right around that time. So that was the big shiny new one. You used to think Florida spring training and the Cactus like, yeah, there are a few teams that go out there. Now it almost seems like Arizona just dominates spring training. I mean, it, that's. Well, I mean, it seems like most of the games are from Arizona as well, and you can really see, you just see a difference in uh, just spring training just has taken up such a notch from where I, several notches from where it was when we were younger. What's interesting is is that from a team standpoint, Arizona makes a whole lot of sense, right? Because there are no bad trips in Arizona, right? Yeah, there are no, there are bad road trips. There are no bad road trips. They're pretty much the games are all clustered together. Now, the downside of that is is I've seen some of these games on TV where pretty sparse crowds there at, at times. But um, but it does mean you know for the teams, okay, it's going to be forty five minutes on on a bus maybe, or in many cases you're playing the team that you share the complex right, exactly. with. So it's something where you just walk out of your clubhouse and you're playing, and you're playing another team who's essentially playing a home game for them too. Your worst case scenario in Phoenix area, in Arizona, because everything's around Phoenix now. No one's even in Tucson anymore. Right. But your worst case scenario is bad traffic, which does happen out there right. quite but a bit. But you're still talking about bad traffic in probably an hour and a half, whereas if you're going east to west in Florida – you're you're talking and doesn't happen. That's that doesn't a big happen, deal. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. But when it does, that's a, a much more significant trip. I'm almost surprised that no one charters flights in, in Florida. To be honest with you, I mean Miami to Tampa, you may as well fly. It's it's just not. Or, or, it's a but, small. But state. the reality of no like, one, but no one train. Well, there's no one even left in Fort Lauderdale now. The Orioles have left. I was gonna say, but the other reality of that is is that on that trip, that that's the game where they, you know, there's that minimum that's the rule. B team, yeah. I was gonna say there's that minimum rule of how many major leaguers you send. Yeah, exactly. You are cutting it as close to that list as you can. Like you're, that's that's the game that Ronald Torres gets into. That's right. Well, yeah. well, you know, two BA staffers are going to uh, spring training later on in March, and I know Connor Glassy's uh, trip is already pretty much booked up. And you know, it's it's a BA trip, so he's going to do a college story. He's going to do a junior college story. He's going to go see Francisco Lindor. He's going to go see the guys at West Boca High. Uh, you know. But he's also going to uh, spend part of that trip at spring training. But when you are in, uh, you know, South Florida spring training, there's not that many teams left down there anymore. On the east coast of Florida, you basically have the Marlins uh, and Cardinals sharing at Jupiter. You have the Mets at St. Lucie. Then up the coast in Vieira, you have the Nats. And even the Nats are squawking about getting out of Vieira. And then you're talking about, if you go from there, then you're talking about moving halfway across the state to the middle where you've got, you know, the Braves right. and the Astros, Astros and, and the Tigers. Right. And then you're talking about going all the way to the you – know. I'd say then you're on the West Coast. The, the, the Gulf Coast of Florida seems like it's still pretty strong with, with spring training baseball. Whereas the East Coast, I mean, I don't know if it's because of the Marlins. It's not exactly like the Marlins have a rabid fan base that precludes anyone from coming down there. But I, I think it really started – when the Yankees used to be in Fort Lauderdale, but when they moved to Tampa, that was a magnet, I think, for South Florida spring training, and now that magnet has followed the Yankees to the West Coast uh, in Tampa. So we have a couple of uh, questions on the Twitter and Facebook. We'll take a couple of those, and then yeah. we'll obviously keep on talking a little bit, get back to the guys who got top 100 votes but didn't make the top 100. Um, the Skeister, who I'm, I'm going to read this uh, on uh, Twitter 
read this question, even though his Twitter uh, icon is a, is a Duke uh, logo, <laughs> much to my chagrin. Do you think Brett Lowry sticks at second base for Toronto? What's his ETA or ceiling? Brett Lowry made the top 100. I guess I could look up exactly where, but I don't exactly remember where he made it. But he's divisive, though, JJ. We had a lot of second baseball on that top 100. We didn't include Brett Lowry in the split decisions top 100. Because but there's a whole lot more question about whether he's going to be a second baseman. That's than some it. Of the I mean, like, uh, you know, he. I think he, he ranks a little, as high as he ranks because we believe in the bat. And we and he's young and some athletic and the athleticism. There is athleticism there, but more than we believe him in second base. I think if he wanted to play second base, he could play second base. Uh, I think if it mattered to him, is what I should say. I think that's that's the knock that you hear is is that why Brett Lowry may end up as an outfielder down the road or something is the the, the question of it being okay. You know, we heard you've you've talked to notice scouts and I, I, that have said, well, I think he could have stu- stuck at catcher if that was something that he really wanted to do but the hitting seemed more important yeah yeah he he i think the tools were there for him to catch there's no doubt about that um you know that but there's more to catching than tools and uh it is hard if you if you are a plus uh potential impact bat who isn't doesn't drink into the you know the the greatness of of catching yeah oh yeah then the virtue almost yes catching yeah and all the pain and all the extra work that goes with it because The reality of it is, is that the catcher is the hardest working guy on the team. Oh yeah, no, there's no doubt. You know, and, and if you throw in that if you're a switch hitting catcher, which we'll get to that in a second, in one of our other questions, if you're a switch hitting catcher, you have to work twice as hard offensively as well as defensively than most players on the team. Um, but yeah, Tim, the thing that was most concerning to me about Lowry was talking to scouts who'd seen him last year, who thought that his arm strength was down from what they'd seen previously, and that's again, that's just you just work on it. A lot of professional players lose arm strength from being right. amateurs to professionals because of the grind and not everyone th- necessarily throws every day or keeps long tossing every day. Long tosses for position players too. Just ask Spring- Steve Springer, quality of bats, uh, I believe is his website, but he also is a scout for the Blue Jays and a quality control coach. And one of the things, Steve Springer won like five best tools awards in his playing career at BA. It was always for best infield arm. And it was almost always a triple A. When he was a triple A veteran, he'd still win best infield arm. I mean, he was a long toss guy, and you—you you ha- it sounds like Brett Lowry does not has not maintained his arm as a pro, and he's not the only one. I'm not singling him out, right? Because that's you hear that a lot. Like you right. hear a lot of guys who say, "Well, it's a 50 arm now." Usually, with most, you know, like if you're talking about a high school guy, and you say, "Well, he's he's 40 power now, and it projects to 60." Yeah, he's you know, his hit tool. Obviously, it's a 30 hit tool now, right. but you know what? It could be uh, above average down Those the road. Those tools are supposed to get better, right? But you'll hear what a scout say. It's his arm, you know, his outfitter. Well, he's a 45 now, and if he doesn't really stay on it, he could end up being a 35. Yeah, know. and pa- speed and arm go backwards uh, the older you get for a lot of players. It doesn't have to, but you have to work on it. And right. that, so the thing is, for, for me, for Brett Lowry, you're, he's getting, even though he's athletic and even though he had plus arm strength as an amateur, you're talking about a guy who's starting to make himself into more of a left fielder down the line than a right fielder down the line. I don't think, though, that the uh, Blue Jays intend to let that – May keep happening because they gave up big value for Brett Lowry. Right. They gave up a good, they, they a good pitcher in Sean Markham. Exactly. They, they clearly believe in him, and that's that's why they traded for him. And I just happened to see Alex Anthopoulos at the winter meetings the day that that trade went down. You know, he was he had lunch with another uh, front office executive, and he was in the same restaurant where Jim Callis and I were having lunch, and we talked name for a little while. You know, it's, I, I will, I will completely name up. And he said he agonized over that the, that trade, but. Bottom line, they believe in the bat, and they do believe in the athleticism. The two key points that you made. So um, that's we're not, not just pulling out of uh, not pulling that out of thin air. That's exactly why they were making that deal. We have another question uh, on our uh, Facebook feed from uh, Cleo Stamatos, who uh, hey. <laughs> happens to be my sister. But it's a legitimate <laughs> question. Um, Orioles catcher Matt Weeders, is he going to have a good year? You know, is, is this the year he lives up to his potential? Cleo's interested because she's my sister, but also because she lives in Towson and she used to live down the street from, uh, she lived on Charles street down the street. We could see Camden Yard from her apartment. It was literally, uh, you know, Matt Weeders wasn't there yet, but, but uh, JJ, I, I would I, say hi in Greek, uh, to Cleo if I could. Uh, Yasu. Yasu. It's pretty easy, but yeah, but I mean, like here's the, that, that is, I mean, that, I mean, that, that's right. That's a, that's a legit question to me about the future of. About prospecting, you know, just this week is in the news. Uh, baseball Prospectus wrote about failed prospects, and they had Matt Weeders as a failed prospect. 
Do you consider him a failed prospect yet? Uh, do you consider him a disappointing prospect? And what are, you, you what do you think be, he'll do going forward? He has to qualify as a disappointing prospect just because of the expectations that were put on him. Like, if you pull out the prospect handbook from, I guess it would have been 08? Uh, yeah, 09, actually. 09. 09. 08 was, he was our minor league player of the yeah, year. But, so you pull out the 09 prospect handbook, and, and if you look at that, well, he projected as an above-average hitter. He projected to have above-average power. Right. He projected to be a, potentially at least above-average defensively. Yeah. I mean, it was a, across the board. Up to now, he has not produced as an above-average hitter. No, absolutely not. He has not produced at above-average power. Definitely not. I, I think the defense is actually probably the thing that's been the most, cons- you know, I think the Orioles feel relatively happy about. How yeah, I haven't seen a ton of complaints. I mean, I actually, uh, it's, it's interesting because in North Carolina, if you don't have direct TV, you can't watch the Orioles. There's this giant dispute uh, about Orioles and national TV rights and math and all that stuff that's not worth going into here. But we both have direct TV, so we both we do watch, watch Orioles and yeah. Nationals games. And uh, you know, my layman's eye. I think that Matt Weider's catch is fine. I think that he will make a pretty significant jump offensively. I, I do think it actually is going to probably come this year. I think that first his first year, it's just hard to you just overwhelmed as a catcher. Uh, I think catching I think between good. hype, catching, and the drudgery that was the Orioles, I think Matt Weider's has been weighed down by that for a year and a half. Last year was his first full major league season, and I think that's the drudgery of the Orioles got but, to him. I expect that I expect that team to be better this year. I expect him to be. Significantly better because I think Buck Showalter is not going to accept just being okay. I think that actually matters. Expectations are higher. I think that matters for a player like Matt Weeders. And, and but I also do think, yeah, it's it's definitely too early to make any kind of judgments. You can you can say he's a disappointing prospect. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's I, that's fair. I mean, but I think you, a lot more was say, expected out of the eighty nine. Let's write him off yet because his first really year and three quarters right has not been. To expectations. He's 24 years old. He won't right. be 25 till September. Uh, Matt, Eddie, and I were just talking about a story idea, and uh, you know, Matt, uh, uh, we were the first thing Matt thought of when he was talking about Matt Weeders. He started comparing him to Jason Veritek instantly. Yeah, Veritek wasn't even a big league regular until he was 27. I think Weeders has a chance one, to have one a, of those years. Was a, a, a Northern there, League year. Yeah, I was going to say one of those years. He his his arrival is delayed a little bit because of long, long. Absolutely, no, absolutely, and there's—I mean—it's it's an easy comparison to think of because both switch hitters, both catchers, both Georgia Tech alumni, and both considered. I mean, when Veritek was coming out, absolutely, Veritek's his offensive were, numbers at Georgia Tech were better than Weeders. Right, he never had a minor league year like Weeders had in 2008. Right, but this is not something where you, if you think of Jason Veritek now and go, "Well, but Veritek's never the hit." No, Veritek yeah. was considered the hitter that Weeders was. If you're going to have a college catcher of the year award, it should be the Jason Veritek award. He's the best college catcher ever. That's just that's just what it is, but uh, you know, to me, I expect Weeders uh, to have you know a better offensive career than Jason Veritek. But it wouldn't shock me if he just settled into a Jason Veritek type career, where it's, I think he has more power than Jason Veritek. But I think that you know, as a catcher, I just think it makes what Joe Mauer does, and to a lesser extent, but not too much lesser, Brian McCann, what those guys do even more remarkable. That you can catch 120 games a year and produce offensively at such a high level like that. And and but you also hit on a key thing there that that works into it. It's funny, but with a catcher, the expectation is is if you can do it for 120 games a year. Yeah, yeah. Because the grind of the of the position is is so much that yeah, 121 games behind the plate uh, last year as a starter for Matt Weeder. So I mean, he's right at what I expect. To me, a regular catcher should start 120 games, and a backup should start 40 games. And but this is a good. This is also a, a good reminder of when you have a, a when you have a catcher. Who's a plus offensive? Like we're talking about Brett Lowry, the possibility of him being a catcher. Right. If you believe in the bat, and the catching is is projects his average at best. Right. I know it's easy to say, well, but you know the value of having that guy as a catcher. There is some value also of having that guy in the lineup 155 games a year. Right. Absolutely. No, that's a great point. I mean, we were talking about this obviously a lot with, uh, you know, with Jesus Montero. I mean, he's the number three on our top 100 list. And uh, now there's talk in Yankees camp, speaking of spring training, of Francisco Cervelli having an injury. He might be unavailable. Uh, the chances are higher right now for Jesus Montero to start the year in the big leagues than they were a week ago. 
Um, I, I happen to think that Montero early career, I don't think he can catch. I don't think he's good enough defensively to catch 120 games a year. But if you I don't said, think the Yankees but if you think said that. Fifty. Right. I and, think and, I, I and definitely thought MDH and right. I've definitely thought fifty is in the realm of possibility for a long time, and, and now it appears that the Yankees actually start to think that maybe fifty to hundred. And the reviews on him this spring are more positive. Again, and he's trimmed up. Not, it's clear that he's not, trimmed up. Not a scout. Not right. a scout. Disclaimer at the start. But having watched a couple, you get a lot of Yankees games yes, on the network right now because Yes do. Network. Hey, if I'm Yes Network, I'm, air, I'm airing every spring training game. Because, yeah, you're rather airing Yankees spring training game than Nets games. Right. So, <laughs> so that being said, Montero has looked trim and his work back there behind the plate one of the key things about catching is want to. Yeah, uh, no and, doubt. And he seems, I mean, again, watching watching games on TV, he seems engaged in the game, and his receiving has actually been okay. I, what is, one of the things that's always going to come back down to with him is is how important is controlling the running game. Right, Because, right. And it's funny, it's it's really with him, It's that is a, it seems like as much a footwork, a, it's a flexibility, footwork, and technique issue than more than it is an arm strength issue. He's got average to plus arm strength. Right. It's and so he'll get you some one nine or two zero pop times. You'll get one nine two zero, and you'll get two 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 and two three is, you know, two three is Matt Stairs might be stealing that base. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe I'm overdoing it a little bit there. CC Savathia, you know, if he was in, in Milwaukee, still is is eyeing and going, hey, I, well, I'm timing this out. I, I might be. Able that's to do part it. of it, though. You also have CC going to the plate. He's not exactly quick to the plate. You've got AJ Burnett, whose concentration will waver. I think the biggest thing to me is I think that. Montero will be a better he'll he'll receive better than Jorge Posada because Jorge Posada is one of the worst receivers. I've been talking to several scouts about this last year. I mean, he's one of the worst receivers in the major leagues year in and year out. He didn't used to be, but when you get in your mid to late thirties, you're just some things you're just not as good as at, at things as a catcher as he used to be. It's just, I'm not harsh on and, and Jorge Posada. It's the reality and, and receiving quality big league stuff. Is a a, a very difficult task. There's a lot of catchers in the minors who the question, the big question becomes, okay, can he handle? That's right. Ninety-five mile an hour heat and that's a why, nasty slider. That's why Buster Posey was lower on our t- preseason rookie list last year than he pr- should have been. Obviously, I mean, he was twenty. I guess uh, we didn't see clear opportunity for him, and all the reports were, well, maybe this guy's not going to handle top quality pitching. He's going to handle yes. the best pitching yeah. in San Francisco, and he made a huge strides. So. I expect you're going to see a lot more Montero uh, this year behind the plate than we maybe have well, been led to believe. I'll uh, say this. If Cervelli's hurt and Russ Martin is your option, my to, option one, yeah. even if Martin's healthy, you can't say, well, okay, you know, we're going to Jason Kendall him like the Royals did last year where he's going to be out there for 20 right. of the first 21 games. You're not doing but that. If it. But it'll be fascinating if you see to see Montero. He is catching a lot how his offense suffers because I think he's actually more of a pure hitter than Matt Wieters, um, which is saying yeah. something. Because I think Matt Wieters, again, his double-A season was about as good a year as you're going to see in the minor league. So, uh, obviously, I'm biased, but great question by Cleo. <laughs> and we have uh, Michael Barr on our Facebook page also asks, are, speaking of rookies, are the Phillies rushing Dominic Brown? I think Ben Francisco should be the everyday guy in right field. J.J., I just read a column today by uh, you know, Bill Conlon, who's been covering the game for a long time, has eaten more about baseball than we have uh, forgot, than we remember. Um, that's just an easy fat joke made by a fat guy. But I've emailed with Bill Conlon, and he knows the game. He actually uh, bankrolls a youth team and helps coach it in his spare time. Um, but he just wrote today about how mechanical Dominic Brown looks and how Dominic Brown has clearly lost the plate. He's searching. He went two for 29 in the Dominican. He seems to have lost the momentum that he had last year in the first half. That call to the big leagues and that spare time in the big leagues where he didn't play regularly really seems to have affected him, and it sounds like he's not going to be the everyday right fielder in Philadelphia, J.J., just for – and watching him in spring training, I only saw one at bat. It was not a good at bat. I saw a couple, and they were not particularly good either. Um, no, and I, I – hey, the one of the knocks against Brown coming up through, you know, through the minors was, okay, this guy – just remember, this guy's – this guy's a little rawer than, yeah. than some of the other guys that you're. That That's why he's not Jason Hayward, right? Or even Mike Stanton, right? He's even a little bit right. more raw than Mike Stanton. The approach is not as advanced. It's not 
well, we mentioned Stanton. I hate to say I can't I can't compare anyone's tools almost to Stanton yeah. because he's not as physical as Stanton. No, just, well, no, no, no one is. Bryce Harper is. That's about it. And then and Josh then, ha- Josh Hamilton. Yes, and then you were done. Okay, that's the level you know. of physicality we're talking about. Right. But take that out of it. But his approach, like Jason Hayward, we talked about it last year at this time last year when Jason Hayward was you know just having quality at bat after quality at bat and and one of the things about Hayward that made him stand out was his approach was so advanced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he recognizes pitches well he works himself into counts and then he, you know then he would drive the ball well brown one of the concerns was is that earlier in his career was okay he's not the approach is not as advanced yet and if he's you combine that with if he is really thinking about it, if his swing is becoming more right. mechanical, then you've got really a bad situation because you're talking about a guy who is not and has not really yet in his career been as comfortable working counts into hitters' counts. Yeah, not like Hayward. Very few people do it like Hayward. He's he's always had pretty good you know walk numbers throughout his career. The surprising thing right now to me is that Brown. It sounds like Brown's swing has gotten longer and loopier. And, and it's all, I mean, he's six six. It's always ha- had some length to it, and, and but that's a, a pretty big concern. That's that's an adjustment he's gonna have to make, and it's harder to make that adjustment uh, when there's pressure on you to win right. a job. Right. It, and and with that, with the longer levers, it's something that we've heard scouts say before. Okay, there's more maintenance involved. Right. If you're a long lever guy, there's more there's more maintenance. Absolutely. In maintaining your swing. Now, I mean, at the same time, how do you maintain a swing? Well, the guys who are really good athletes have an easier time usually maintaining a swing right. than a guy who's less of an athlete. And Dominic Don Brown's Brown. an athlete. It's different for Don Brown than it is for Brennan Bosch. Brennan Bosch, a, a big guy, long lever guy with the Tigers, got off to a great start last year. Once pitchers found his hole, he did not have the athleticism really to make I, I that adjustment. I Tigers, but when you say that, another guy I think of is Ryan Streeby. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's the, the right, right. He's the whole, that goes back to risk factor, he's the whole right, right, first baseman, stiff guy. And he's, he, if you never, if you did not believe in Ryan Streeby, he's that. And the other, the other thing is, if you believe in that right, right conundrum, you don't believe in Matt Laporta. You don't believe in Chris Carter. And, and it there is, are a lot of scouts who don't. So, and, and let's go into that a little bit. Because, like, I've, I've, I got another, I had some questions about when I was doing Reds about Dave Sapelt. And it's like, well, why is Sapelt not rated higher? And yeah, and the funny thing about he it is, is divisive. But I've, but it's it's not just right right first baseman. Like with Sapelt, there was kind of that same that question of well, you know what? If he hit if he batted lefty, right? I think you he'd can be get, an entirely different player. I think you can get away with being a left-handed hitting guy with fifty tools everywhere. If you're a right-handed hitting guy, it's harder because uh, you're just going to see same side pitchers all the time. And he just doesn't have a carrying tool, right? And, you know. So let's go into explain to explain to someone who's going. Okay, so what exactly is the right right conundrum? Well, I mean, what, I think the th- I think the main thing what I've gotten from scouts over the years is that uh, you know, if you're a right-handed hitter and you're not terribly athletic, you're going to see so many breaking stuff and so many. You're going to have that hard time getting fastballs in. You have to have the athleticism to make those adjustments constantly and. A lot of hitters don't have that, that athletic ability. It takes uh, spectacular hand-eye and hitting tools, hitting ability to be a right-handed hitting, right-handed throwing guy. And uh, unless most of those guys are middle infielders, can be right-right because they're athletic enough. But if you're right, the only the right-handed hitters in the big leagues who have that right-right profile are either great athletes like a Derek Lee or Jermaine Dye was a guy who comes to mind who was like that. Or guys who moved off other positions that are just unbelievable hitters. Paul Konerko, Albert Pujols, <laughs> leap to mind. Well, and, but You're another... just constantly having to adjust to right-handed pitchers throwing your breaking stuff. That's just not easy to do. And another factor in this is, is roster makeup is that, okay, if you are that elite, that Albert Pujols, Paul Konerko, that, you know, the guy right. who's the cornerstone guy in the lineup, well, that doesn't really matter. I mean, but, you, but, you, but if you're not, yeah. if you are you a borderline to... guy, well – your middle infielders are generally. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some switch hitters or some, but right. you obviously got to throw right-handed. If right, play, right, right. If you're gonna play second, short, or third, right. So a lot Scott more. Scott Rowland, another great right, right, right guy. A lot more of those guys are going to be right-handed hitters. Hanley Ramirez. So you you usually want to have several lefties in the lineup, and again, when yeah. you also talk about platoon differential, if you're a that's platoon right. guy, well, again, that's the whole thing. If you're a backup outfielder. You can count the left-handed hitting middle infielders, by the way, like on two hands in the right. major leagues, especially shortstops. That's why I've talked about it on the podcast before. Reed Brignac, 
A lot of scouts like Reed Brindnack being a left-handed hitting shortstop. Steven Drew, left-handed hitting shortstop. Those guys really stick out to scouts because there's not that many of them. And that's why you see also Speedy Guy is one of the reasons they want him to switch hit. That's just, right. That's right. But Sapel, I don't know that the right-right thing – I think that the thing is from a fourth outfielder standpoint is where it hurts him. And actually we're just was, talking about Ben Francisco – that's a best-case scenario career in my mind for Dave Sapelt. I think one of the biggest issues for Don Brown, besides his own struggles, is that I think he may have come to camp and realized Ben Francisco is a better fit for that team. Right now, yeah, I he think is. he is. They, don't, they aren't right-handed enough. The only other regulars in their lineup who are right-handed hitters in Philadelphia are uh, you know, Placido Polanco and Carlos Ruiz. So Ben Francisco is a really solid player. He just makes sense for their lineup and in they right don't, field. Especially because they do not need – Ben Francisco will be – Gold glove caliber. Yeah, he'll be good right field. Yeah. He's a very good right fielder. He's, and, and Dave Sapelt is not as big as Francisco. I think Francisco's six foot, six one. Sapelt's five nine. I think the thing is with Sapelt is it's hard to project him to hit for average power at the big league level. And he, I'll say this, he might. I and mean, he's he, not he a can, burner. He's, he's been a guy who's proved, you know, right. he, he has to prove guys wrong all the way around. All I think the way he's up like the a, ladder. I think he's like a forty fives and fifties everywhere on, on all his tools with like maybe a fifty five sixty run. And the hit tools are really so he he just doesn't have a he doesn't have a true sixty tool does he maybe the maybe speed or is it maybe the bat maybe the bat so the, if if he's that if he's a sixty hit I think he will be a Ben Francisco or maybe even a little bit better version of that because he could but, be an everyday fringe average center fielder defensively and, and hit enough to be out there but but the thing that's going to be tough is is that again what we talked about is that okay so then it really becomes if you're a regular it doesn't matter right but, but if, if you're, you're a platoon guy yeah. You want that lefty you bat. You want that lefty bat as the platoon guy, you know. And, and it's a pelt, you know, going for him is, is that he can play a couple of positions out right. there in the outfield, which you also want your you want your backups and to ideally be. be the guy who can also swing over the center. And I think it can be overdone the other way. And one of my all-time personal cheese balls, one of the reasons he I overdid him was because he's a left-handed hitter, and that's Jason Pridey. I always thought Pridey, because of his speed, his defense, and left-handed bat, would fi- get enough time in the big leagues to figure it out, and he didn't uh, because he's just too aggressive, never toned down his uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio, and uh, t- timing was never right for him either. But, I mean, I loved that guy as a player. and you, you, uh, Yes, you did. I mean, I was all about just Jason Pridey, and basically what I thought Jason Pridey would be is what happened with the Nard Span. So, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you miss, which, and, that's, and that's one of the times which, I missed. Again, a good reminder also as far as tools because Span was a guy who – Really, almost through his through much of his minor league career, it you could if you wanted to see negatives, you could find negatives in his game. Absolutely, but, uh, there were a lot of them. He's, the thing, he his development has continued even at the big league level. But right, if you keep if you keep knocking negatives off of your scouting report, yeah, you can, that you can do it. That does a lot for you. Absolutely, JJ. Let's wrap up the podcast and talk a little bit about this uh, Jim Callison SBA where he talked about everyone else who got votes. On our top 150, and uh, you know, for our top 100, and maybe pull out. Uh, speaking of personal cheese ball, some of our own personal cheese ball. Now, Jim just presented them in alphabetical order. One thing that's easy to search through here, though, is uh, guys who got votes on all six ballots. Uh, all six of us who voted uh, included these players in our top 150s. Angel Beltre of the Rangers is one. Aaron Crow is one. We've talked a little bit about, I think, about Dar- about Aaron Crow. Raymond Fuentes, uh, traded from the Red Sox to the Padres. Yasmani Grandal, Matt Harvey, both of whom did not miss the top 100 by much. Same thing with Aaron Crow. I, I think it's fair for us to say those guys were in that 101 to 120 discussion. Right. All three of those guys uh, were close. Francisco Peguero of the Giants. I don't know that he was as, as high as the other guys, but he definitely he got mo- voted on all six. Yorman Rodriguez of the Reds did. Jerry Sands of the Dodgers. Zach Stewart. Who I kind of feel like we've chronically underranked, and I'm uh, as as at fault for that as anybody. And I think you probably has always been his biggest defender. I was gonna say I, I'm a Zach Stewart fan. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can understand a little bit of why he's underranked because he's always been that guy who's bounced back and forth, rotation bullpen, right. rotation bullpen, and he has been traded. So you put the two together, and he's never like been just left alone. Doesn't have one big minor league season that would get your attention, whether it's his role or his. But he team. also, but he also is a guy who. Probably the best way to describe it is, is I, I feel like he's a relatively safe bet to do something. Oh yeah, and no, I agree. And he had I a pretty know, nice year. He had yeah. a pretty nice year in Double A last year. The one as good as the year before was. Blow that was you it. Away. The year the year before was a better year. You know, his strikeout rate dropped and his walk rate was higher. But, I still think of him as more of a relief pitcher who could start, 
Right, and I think that's a fair – I think he's going to get the opportunity to prove he's not a starter. Yeah. I mean, to prove he is a starter. Right, and the thing is, the, 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 I think, yeah, to prove he is a starter. And the Blue Jays' track record for the last decade is pretty, pretty good. good on taking guys who are relievers and making them starters. Sean Markham is the latest example. Dave Bush before well, that. There is a, they there did is, it with Casey Jansen before he went back to the there bullpen. Are, there are people in the game who believe that college relievers are a really good bet because – you get guys who've pre- pitched in pressure situations because mm-hmm. what you're t- when you're talking about college relievers, what you're really talking about is college closers, right? But if you have a college closer with some secondary stuff, who's not just a, a fastball or just a, you know a fastball split or something, you know, if you got a guy who who has a changeup, really, absolutely, that's it. If you Sean have a changeup, yeah. But if you have a changeup, well, then we can make you into a starter. And the advantage we get is is you're probably going to be a little lower in the draft than you would be because. Right, teams not as exposed. Seen the, yep. You're not as exposed, and also not a whole lot of wear and tear on that arm because you probably what ended up happening is is you were pitching probably three, two to three times a week, right. for an inning to two at a time. So yeah, Markham started as a freshman at Missouri, then transferred to what is now Missouri State at the time, Southwest Missouri State. You know, through 76 innings those last two years, so he was not so not much wear and tear on the arms. And the other thing with that is, is but at the same time, because of the probably pitching as well at some point on Tuesday or Wednesday of the week, it's even maybe a little less adjustment to going from the seven day schedule to the five. Yeah, actually, not a bad idea, not a bad point. I haven't, I had not thought about from that because uh, you know, with, regard. With, it, to explain a little further, I'm sure y'all probably followed that, but you, as a college starter. You essentially are on a once a week a once a week schedule. And you throw once a week, and then you throw a bullpen in between. Or and a couple of teams will say that they'll use you for the inning. And oh, that's right. If you're uh, if you're Jeremy Sowers, that you, back in the day, you had to pitch on Tuesdays also to close out games. That doesn't happen to too many guys anymore, but it still does happen. Absolutely. Um, but some and Jordan Wall was another guy who got six votes. Uh, that doesn't have to be from this pool of players, JJ. But who on this list uh, was kind of your personal cheese ball? Uh, you know, I'm sure there. I'm sure there's more than one. But uh, you just mentioned Walden. I, I think that Walden is going to be a solid pitcher for the Angels at the big league level this year. I think that if the situ, I mean, if I'm on a fan, you know, if, if I'm a fantasy player, yeah. I wouldn't mind having him on my roster as a dollar guy or something like that because he may, you may, you know, depending like on how that. your league is, is it may, he may be more than a dollar, but. 98, 99, 100 with with the movement. And that's a that's a coaching staff and a manager. You know, well, Mike Butcher with your pitching coach, but then obviously you know, Mike Socha knows how to develop a bullpen. Right. There are a lot of uh, – I mean, that's, that was obviously the key to their 2002 World Series championship, and that's been a big key to their you know, sustained success in Los Angeles. I think both of us think the Angels are going to fall somewhat this year with their $50 million worth of center fielders who don't play center field. Um, there's some issues on that team. Um, they did not exactly have a great offseason. $50 million of center fielders don't play center field. Oh, no, yeah, by the way, coming up before too long, the best, the best center, center field fielder. That's right. No, absolutely. It's crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm counting Gary Matthews Jr. in that list of center fielders who don't play center field. Uh, he doesn't happen to play baseball for anybody anymore, to my knowledge. So, but but I, I agree. I think Walden's a good guy to, to and, pick up there, and he, and he – Came close to. I don't remember if we made our top twenty rookies or not, but that'll be discussed on next week's a, podcast. I was, say, I was making a pitch from. I remember that uh, we I, had a lot of relief pitchers in that is, mix. Is the thing? It is tough. It is tough. Like especially when you say, okay, compare him to say like a Craig Kimbrell, who right, right. Who, it, they're saying right now, hey, that guy. He's already done it. You know, yeah, that, he, that guy's going to get it. some saves this year. I'm um, not even sure that it's one of these. It doesn't have to be one of these six guys. Are there other you know, no, guys? One other like? guy I wanted to mention just because I think that. Well, I'll, I'll give two two guys from my Reds top uh, top ten: Yorman Rodriguez, Yasmani Grandal. Both of those guys, if you told me that they're on next year's top hundred, I'd actually probably be less surprised to hear that they're on the top hundred than say that they're not. Next right? Year. Yeah, that's, that's Grandal. Fair. Grandal, just if give him a full season, if he does any, what we expect him to do, he'll be a top hundred guy next year because of the attrition of guys above him moving on and moving off. Right. Right. Whereas Rodriguez. This could be a, a, a breakthrough year for him. If if he's not on the top hundred next year, that's a pretty bad sign because tools wise, yeah, and he's he's got excellent. He has tools. top one hundred tools, and he made progress last year. It seems, like, it seems like he's on this upward trend where he should be on there. And, next and year. we're still talking, and we're talking about a, a, a teenager, you know, breaking into his first full season in full season ball this year. So that 
just put it together, and if he has a solid season at all, considering his tools, considering his age, considering his pedigree, uh, I would expect to see him in the top 100 next year. Yeah, no, I, those are good picks. Uh, I, I like yeah, both about, those picks. What about for you? You know, I, I think I even had him on my top 100 this year, but I kind of like Chris Owings and uh, shortstop infielder in the Diamondbacks organization. Mm-hmm. And the more I looked at him, you know, there's not a huge difference between him and Nick Franklin. Not in terms of their tools, not in terms of – and Nick Franklin has a little bit more patient approach right now. That's the difference. That's a, a big reason why his power played more, and he was also healthy, healthier in the Midwest League uh, than Chris Owings. But I think this is going to be a breakout year for Chris Owings. And if you liked Chris Owings when he was in high school coming out of uh, South Carolina, he got a lot of uh, Gordon Beckham comparisons. And I, I could see it, and I've talked to a lot of scouts about that, and, uh, You know, both when he was an amateur – and uh, just this off season, just emailed with a couple guys about that, and you know he has some positive buzz for me. I, I think I think Chris Owings is going to be a guy that's going to make he's going to jump up this year, and I also think he's pretty crucial for the Diamondbacks organization. One that really just I'm not excited about a lot of their prospects. The the, the interesting thing is is that the numbers they had in you know and again Owings only played 66 games. Right. Franklin played, but the numbers are not as different. Yeah. As they as you at first glance they look at you look at their slugging percentages and. You know, Franklin had a better year. There's no yeah, doubt oh, no doubt. But Owings had the doubles. Owings had oh, – the number that's impressive, Owings had 19 doubles in 62 games. Right, right. You know, Franklin had 22 doubles in pretty much a full season. He drove the ball consistently. Right. And it's a middle so, infielder who's a legit middle infielder who in his first pro season was driving the ball consistently. Right. That is a, that's a very good guy to keep an eye on for uh, – so for, for 2011. For me, that's one of them. I also think uh, Max Stassi. Uh, I like Max Stassi. I like them a lot. And he's in a, he's kind of the same kind of thing we're talking about with weeders, and then we were talking about with catchers earlier in their career. You know, Max Stassi comes from a baseball family, uh, baseball pedigree that we've written about a lot. I think the swing is a good swing. Uh, I get I'm probably biased because I saw him at the uh, Under Armour deal in 2008 up in uh, Wrigley Field. I think that guy's going to hit. He showed me more power in his pro debut than I thought you'd see, and I think he's going to be. Uh, I've talked to you know the A's about this. And they thought we undersold him as a defender in high school with his reputation as a high school catcher. Uh, for me, Max Stassi's – I know I picked two Midwest League guys that are Jim Callis guys. But uh, I actually think Owings and Stassi are going to be – I expect them to have to consolidate their gains they made last year and to put them on fuller display and put up some big numbers in the Cal League this year. It will be interesting to see because there's that kind of that whole group of, of catchers, those young high school catchers who – you have to be a little more patient with them. Yeah. And it's a little easy to kind of forget about those guys somewhat. And to me, Max Stassi's an easy guy to believe in. I like the I love the makeup. I love uh love the makeup and I really think that he's a guy who uh the swing is gonna he has the swing, he has the defensive tools. He's gonna be a big league catcher. I think he's gonna be a better version of uh, Kurt Suzuki. So um maybe that's telling you what his ceiling is. I think he's gonna be a better version of that. A guy who's a league average or better offensive player and as a league average or better defender as well. And, and I think people know, I, maybe not as much as Will Kimmy used to, but I love Kurt Suzuki. So. And, and, and the thing about it is, is if you have a league average defender, league average hitter. You're at, almost an all-star. At catcher. You're a winning team. To you. You're a winning team as well. And that's a th- that goes back to the David Sapelt thing. I feel like David Sapelt is good enough to be a big leaguer, but I feel like he's the guy that you're always looking to replace if he's your everyday center fielder. Whereas if you've got a league average catcher, you're not looking to. You're, yeah, you're looking to lock that guy up long term, right? That's and that's the thing is, is that it's easy to forget because of the you know. And it's really look, it's a great time for catchers. I remember it is. I, I remember many years ago now, but it's funny as it came out at the time. But I, I think it was Sporting News. It may have been Baseball America. I think it was Sporting News though. But back when I was in college or getting ready to head to college, mm-hmm. and there was a big feature on where have all the catchers gone, and it was you know this whole point about how. These young whippersnappers, they don't, they don't want to. Right, they don't want to get back there. They don't want to get back there, and all. They want to get dirty. Right. And at the, you know, at, at the time, it was you know Todd Zeal moving off of of catcher and that kind nice. of thing. <laughs> Todd Zeal, nice. Reference. You know, but but now we are in a great, great time of catchers. I mean, it may be true that in a couple of years we can't say that that if you got league average defense and league average offense because just because of the right. massive number. That's a good point. I mean, we. McCann, Maurer, Carlos Santana. McCann and Maurer are looking like, you know, Hall of Fame guys. I, I think Brian McCann doesn't get enough attention for that. I mean, that guy's just a stud. He, I know he's not the defender that Maurer is, but 
he's a huge you reason are. why the Braves. Yeah, exactly. He's a huge reason why the Braves are still the Braves, even with all the changes they've made. I, mean, I, I love Brian McCann, not as much as our tech guy uh, Brent Lewis does here at Baseball America. But and we're talking about uh, maybe it was a good place to wrap this up because we're talking about uh, veteran catchers. Uh, Jorge Posada, Hall of Famer for you or not? Okay, let me ask. I'll, I'll answer that question two different ways. Okay. Do I think he's going to make the Hall of Fame? Yes. Do you really? Okay. I, don't... I think that there is an aura that comes from the Yankees. As much as the Yankees playing on championship teams. Right, right. Playing on championship teams carries weight with voters, I think. I think his 123 Ops Plus is what's going to carry the most weight. But I, I think he's going to fall just short. I think his counting numbers are not quite there. Maybe 20 years from now, 15 years well, from we, now, we, the, we, uh, the voters will. Also, we don't know where his counting numbers are going to end. Because yeah, moving into know. DH, they you know, is it going to end now, or does he have a couple more years where he's going to? I don't. It's hard for me to see, to Good be question. honest with you, the Yankees going with Jorge Posada as their DH for long, for a significant period of time, just from the standpoint of they're well, this, the Yankees. They could put, <laughs> yeah. they could put any whoever they want there. Well, this is I believe, well, I believe his last year in a contract is this season. His contract expires at the end of. Right. 2011. So he's DHing this year. It might be his last year there. We'll see. But I mean, he's 261 career home runs. Most of those, obviously, as a catcher. Um, but you're looking at a, over 162 game average thanks to B ref. Talking about a guy who's been a 275, 377, 479 guy for his career with 25 homers a year. Basically, that's that's pretty outstanding. I think his defense is what's going to, in in the end, will work against him. He's a pretty bad receiver, and but, he has been for a long know, time. I, I guess my question becomes: five years from his retirement, what people are going to remember is, oh, AJ Burnett didn't want to throw to him. Yeah, oh, David Cohn didn't want to throw to him. Those beat writers who were around New York are going to remember that. Oh, Mike Mazzina didn't want to throw to him. And those things the, are going to stick the, out. He's the longer, the longer lived Javi Lopez of the uh, yeah of the of the twenty first century. He's a better version of Javi Lopez, but yeah, and I mean, whereas a Mike Piazza. You know, you wanted to run. You wanted to run against Mike Piazza, but but, but pitchers, pitchers never begged out of. That's right. And Al Leiter was talking about the other day, and obviously they were teammates and their buddies. But um, you know, people did not beg out of throwing to Mike Piazza, and he caught you know on great teams. So so did Posada, but I, I think it's a little bit different. Or Posada, I don't think it was just that. Oh, I wanted to throw to Girardi. You know, even after Girardi was long no, gone. I mean, Yankees pitchers didn't always want to throw to him. They'd rather throw to Jose Molina sometimes. I mean, whoever using the backup that same was. that same analogy, but it was that was the Javi Lopez thing. Whereas that's right, Eddie Perez. Absolutely, Greg Maddox was did not want to throw to Javi Lopez. So I think it's I think that eventually will end up working against Posada, uh, although his name was perfect for John Sterling. As I, John Sterling has his pluses and his minuses. His pluses is hearing him say Posada, but uh, I definitely for me he's a little short of a Hall of Fame. But I think that. Yeah, Brian McCann is and Joe Maurer are also short right now, you know. But but their yeah. careers are trending toward Hall of Fame. And like you said, uh, you know, maybe a league average catcher won't be enough down the line to be an All Star with uh with the catchers that we've had. But great questions that we had on the podcast, and uh, I think it's kind of funny that we both picked catchers, uh, Grandal and Stasi to, to well, jump on next year's top. I think we're thinking catchers. I right think now. so, too. Well, we're going to wrap up the podcast here for Baseball America. We'll uh, be back with next week's podcast. And don't forget, Monday, Aaron Fitt and I with the College Podcast. So for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks for joining us on the Baseball America Podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.